Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> we got back from kids' camp on Friday. <clears throat> don't, they said, don't cross this line, and I just crossed the line. I can't pull it back now. There we go. Uh, we just got back from kids' camp, uh, and kids' camp has taken my voice. So the sound is cranked up all the way. So if I put a toe over this line, I think it buzzes. See? Uh, it is so good to see you. Good morning. morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. I'm the children's pastor here uh, at Christ Community Wesleyan Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet with one another, and I'm regretting using technology instead of printing. Technology sometimes is, doesn't like me. Now fix. There we go. <laughs> Victory. Oh, it's going to be one of those. Good morning. We're going to have a lot of fun this morning. Uh, if we're talking about uh, what it means to be a Wesleyan, what it looks like to be a Wesleyan. And so today I want to walk through um, what it means for this big giant word that some of you know and some of you don't uh, called sanctification. Um, oh man, I'm having technical problems. Oh, there it is. I found the button. <clears throat> it's good. We're good. We're good. Let's start out with the passage. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. This is what sanctification means and what it looks like. And we're going to walk through this uh, together. But it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. There's that big word we're going to use. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That is what sanctification means. And in the Wesleyan church, we believe that sanctification is a process. It is a process of being sanctified. It is a surrendering of ourselves, of our lives and our time and our talents over to Jesus. Simply put, it is, it is getting to a point where God has all of you, where there's nothing left in the closet. There's no area of your life that God can't mold and develop. And you say, God, I want you to have all of me. And for some of us, it's a process that'll take our lifetime. For others, we get, we get to this part where we can't imagine God having any more than he already has. And, and maybe some of you are there right now and you wake up and you're like, man, I, God has all of me. He has the darkness in my life and he has the light in my life and I am fully surrendered to God. What I wanted to do today is walk through this process with you of sanctification. And I walk around a lot, which is gonna make this thing buzz probably even more. And the, the worse my voice gets, the more they're gonna crank it up. So God's gonna take care of the voice. I'm gonna keep putting ricolas in my mouth and I'm gonna keep drinking these little teeny tiny midget bottles of water that we found. They're so tiny and then poquito. That's all I could find was little ones. So I have a case of them. That's actually not all that's in the case. 
We're going to talk about what it looks like to be the bride of Christ. If we're going to be sanctified, then we need to be washed by the blood. Amen. We need to be made new. We need to be made righteous. We cannot become righteous on our own. We cannot become righteous through our own works, through our own investment, through the amount of time that we spend at church, how many bulletins we fold and hand out, or how much time we spend working with kids at kids camp. As much as I feel like that was a trial by fire, right, for some of us. It was, a, it was an amazing week. If you've never been to Scioto Hills, it is a gorgeous campground. Uh, and we took 43 kids. Uh, we had a few kids that weren't able to make it um, at the last minute. But we took 43 kids. And uh, we had some amazing first-time commitments. Some amazing, and just in our group, we had some uh, reaffirming of a faith and a fully sur- this surrendering to God. To say, God, I want you to have more of me, and I want you to have more of me, and more of me, and more of me. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be the bride of Christ. This is my wife's wedding dress. It is 17 years old. Probably older. I think we got it at the clearance rack. I'm just joking. Uh, she's going to shoot me for saying that. This isn't going to hold it. Yeah, well, good for you, little pencil stand. <laughs> Good for you, little pencil stamp. We're going to walk through what it means to become the bride of Christ and to be sanctified and set apart and made anew. So I'm going to, I'm going to walk through this as simply as possible, right? Because sometimes we assume on Sunday morning we're all on the same boat. We're all on the same page. We're all in a healthy, activated, uh, committed relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's not true. Sometimes we have peaks and we have valleys and sometimes there are people in here that have never heard the gospel for the first time. And so I want to walk us through the process of sanctification. So if you have your notes, you're going to see some letter A's and some letter B's. And we're going to start with the letter A. And this letter A down here, we're going to call this the introduction. This is a basic introduction of who Jesus is, of what the Bible means. This is the introduction, knowledge of both my bride and Christ. And so we're going to walk through this parallel of what it means with my relationship with Alicia and how this parallels and why Jesus used this analogy of the bride of Christ uh, because it is such a powerful visual understanding of what it means to be committed, to be faithfully committed to someone, even in the highs and the lows. And so our point A, this starting point, is this basic introduction of who Jesus is. This is my basic introduction to Alicia McGee. And how many of you guys, when you first saw your beloved... It was your bride or your groom. It was love at first sight. You were like, that is the one. Good, not a lot of hands. It wasn't for me. Alicia did not like me at all uh, <laughs> when we first met. I was super good looking, obviously. But uh, the first time that we met, I knew her. I'd met her sister. We were security at a Newsboys concert together and... Um, we were trying to manage the stage, and her sister was horrible at her job. And uh, so we got to talking, and I was trying to crowd control her guys, and we were having fun. And I found out we worked at the same place at Focus on the Family. And so her sister started visiting me at Focus on the Family and had this huge crush on me. And uh, she'll tell you that. She, just, she says, she'll tell you now, what was I thinking? 
but she would visit me on her lunch break and we would talk and I liked her as a friend, but I wasn't super romantic. And the first time, one day she said, hey, after work, why don't you and Ben, my friend Ben, why don't you guys come over and uh, just meet the family, come over for dinner. And I was a college kid living in a college dorm and I will take advantage of any free meal that I could possibly get. Many of you can relate to that that are here today, right? So I said, let's do this. And so the garage door opens at the McGee house and there stands Alicia, Miss Sassy Alicia. And Alicia uh, probably wasn't having a great day and I wasn't having a great day and we didn't really click very often. And the only like real thing that stands out from that because she mentions it frequently um, is that at some point we got in an argument and I called her an anorexic twit. That was what I called her. That was our introduction <laughs> to one another. That was the first time I found out that Alicia McGee existed on this planet. Uh, and so it wasn't a great introduction. Most of you probably have a good first introduction. Uh, but I, I say that to say most people, many people, some of you in this room did not have a great introduction to Jesus Christ. Not because of who Jesus is and who his character is, but because of the way our humanness portrayed him. The way that we portrayed him to that person that needed to see him in the darkness. So this is that basic introduction. And all people, I, I had a professor named Mark Wilson. He pastored uh, up in Wisconsin for a long time. He works for headquarters. Uh, Wilson, Mark, is it Wilson or Wills? Mark Wills, Mark Wills, thank you. Thank you for the head nod, Sadie. Uh, Mark Wills, she's like, I have no idea. I'll look it up later. Um, he gave us this chart of one to 10. And he said, if one is here and 10 is here, and we put five in the middle. This is every single person on the entire planet is on that line. And this would be um, atheist or like tribes in India maybe that have never even heard that Jesus, Jesus' name in their entire life. Right, and so we're really far here and then we've, you know, you've got agnostics and we just keep moving towards. Five would be this point of accepting Christ into your life, right? And then we'll call 10 uh, a big giant word called glorification that we'll get to in a minute. That's how you spell glorification, with a squiggle and a G. I also should take a moment to tell you, I was homeschooled, and my dad was, um, he was in military intelligence, and so early on, he was really into computers. We had a computer in our house before anyone else in my neighborhood. My friends would come over to play solitaire, because we were the only ones on the, our Minesweeper was the first, like, big one. And uh, so... Uh, I'm horrible at spelling. I say all that to say, being homeschooled, I didn't do a lot of handwriting. My mom put everything on a computer because we all had computers uh, because my dad just built them. And so some of this spelling is going to be wrong. And some of you teachers in this room are going to freak out. And I promise you it has no bearing on my relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit wanted it spelled differently, he'll fix it for me, right? No, that's not true. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, all right, so where, where was I? I got sidetracked. This is a basic introduction. And then everyone is going to go on a journey towards something, is going to go this way, and they decide that they're not going to pursue who Christ is. Or for many, we begin to ask questions. And for me, the more time I spent with Alicia, the more time I thought she was kind of cute and uh, to the detriment of her older sister. Um, uh, but, but anyway, so we, we begin on this journey of getting to know one another, 
and there are ups and there are downs, and, and we're just trying to discover who that is. And um, if you're not a Christian and you're not going to church, this isn't happening at church. This is happening through interactions at work from people that claim Christ as their Savior. This is happening from TV. This is happening from individuals. This is happening from all kinds of sorts of, but they're not necessarily pursuing this additional knowledge. It's just happening. And so for Alicia and I, it started just by being in the same place sometimes. And at some point I decided that I really wanted to get to know who she was more intimately. I I found her attractive. I thought, hey, there's something there that I'd like to find out what that is. And in Christianity, that's, that's often where we begin. There's something there. Lisa, I see something in you, and I, I don't know what that is. Um, or I, I see, uh, you know, the Wesleyan Church stepping up in the Flint, Michigan water crisis. And I don't know why. Why would they do that? Why would they step up and help all these people to the detriment of their own organization? Because it costs money, it costs finances, it costs resources. But that's where God has called us to do as the church, be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so, but some people don't understand that. They don't understand giving and they don't understand charity and they don't understand love and compassion and generosity. And so they want to know where in the world is that coming from? So we're going to put a letter B here. At B, this is that moment that we've decided we've got real questions. We want to ask some real questions. We've had fun maybe going to the movies with a group of people and you happen to be there like with Alicia, you know, which you would just happen to be there. And at some point I decided I'd like to spend some alone time. I want to ask some questions and get to know who Alicia is who Alicia is and what she is doing and what makes her tick and what's going on in Alicia. So I began to spend more time with Alicia. I began to spend more time with her and ask more questions about her. This technology is terrible. It keeps going to sleep mode and I promise you I turned it off. And then it doesn't recognize my face. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we'll print it for second service people. How about that? B is this big moment when everything changes. B is this this big moment when things go from this, um, I'm asking general questions, I'm spending general time together uh, and kind of getting to know them. And now I want to know Alicia more intimately. And so I ask her this question, and it's a question, if you're married, you asked at some point, hey, you want to go out sometime? And uh, luckily she said yes, which was awesome. So I asked Alicia if she wants to go out with me. Now at this point, our relationship changes dramatically. It's not a a line, it's not a gradual incline. There is a dramatic shift upward because everything changes from that moment. We are now no longer acquaintances. We are no longer just generally trying to spend time together. I am dating Alicia. She is my girlfriend. And I have lots more questions. And I'm going to start taking her out on dates and spending some alone time together. And I'm going to ask her some more important questions like, how crazy is your mom? (laughs) My mother-in-law is going to be here in second service and she is a rock star, but I'm still going to say that joke. Uh, but it's a question, right? You ask that question, A, B, C. And so this is, this is that moment when I decide that I want this tr- relationship to change from this acquaintance, this getting to know you, to now it is, we are in a dating relationship. So A to B, if you're filling in your notes, B is the moment of salvation, this moment of asking Alicia out on a date. 
C is dating and getting to know one another more deeply. This A to B, this in here, this is this dramatic shift upward. And I think I messed up my letters, but that's okay. We'll get there. This dramatic shift upward. And now I'm going to, I want to get to know her more deeply and more intimately. And I want to know who she is. And I'm going to ask her more questions. In my relationship with Jesus Christ, at this point, I have asked Jesus to be into my heart, but many of you did not grow up in the church. And if you did not grow up in the church, your understanding of the Bible, your understanding of how to read the Bible, your understanding of how to pray, your understanding of what it meant for Jesus to die and come back. There's, there's, there's this journey and this process that you were going to go on, this understanding of this process that we're going to go on. This moment in our salvation, this moment from here to here requires nothing other than a willingness to say, I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is that free gift of salvation that we talk about and we have talked about many, many times and many, many Sundays in a row. Pardon me. John 3.16 says, For God so loves whoever, whomever, anyone, regardless of status, regardless of current lifestyles, regardless of current situations. All it takes is this moment of surrender. It doesn't take healing. It doesn't take cleaning. It doesn't take cleansing. It doesn't take you purging things from your life. It takes a moment of surrender to say, I need that. I need this relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know what it means and what it's going to do for me and what it's going to look like, but I need this relationship with Jesus Christ. And that creates this dramatic shift upward because everything is different now. You've gone from just knowing who he was to now saying, I know who I am. I know who I am because of what Christ has given me, because of what Christ has done for me. And then unfortunately, this process after becoming a Christian is the messy process. Oftentimes when Paul calls out sin, Paul is calling out sin in the church. Us, we are to be sharpening each other. We are to be going to our brother and saying, this is not okay. We need something different. We need to be better. Christ has called us to love differently. Christ has called us to love radically. There are things in your life that God is going to ask you to give over. But this moment of asking Jesus to come into your life takes very little. For many people that I know, I've known many people that the moment they've come to Christ, sin, that there's things that they've struggled with are no longer struggles. They are gone. God is a healing God. God is a mighty and active God and God transforms daily the hearts and lives of men. So I'm here to tell you, if you have an addiction, you don't have to have an addiction. God is the healer. If we have pride and anger that gets in the way of our relationship with Christ and how we reflect Christ, God says, I am the healer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you only walk in my footsteps, if you only pursue this picture of who I am, things will be different. That is the process of sanctification. Sin comes down to this. Sin comes down to just a few things, and I should have made this a fill-in-the-blank notes because I think this is big, and I think it's important. But sin is simply an unwillingness to give something to God if he asks for it. An unwillingness to surrender 
to God when he asks for it. When God says, can I have your family? Do you trust me? As a young guy, when Alicia and I first got married for the first probably, oh my goodness, five or six, seven years of our marriage, it was my job to protect my wife and my son. It was my job to make sure there was food on the table, to make sure that we had rent paid, to make sure that bills were paid, to make sure that they had, were going to the doctor. Like I took that as my job. And I saw it as my job to make sure they didn't get hit by a car or shot by somebody. Right? I took all of that. That was my job. I am the protector. And Christ said, can I have them? Can I have your wife? Can I have your son? And if I took them, would you still love me? Job went through a lot. Job went through a lot. But if Job hadn't given everything to God, if God didn't have all of Job, it would have been real easy to walk away when God took the things that he thought he needed control over, the things that he thought he had control over. Because ultimately, when we surrender ourselves to Christ, we no longer have control over our lives because it is his to use freely. We give freely with our tithe and our offering and sometimes we give freely with our time and we volunteer to do things, but we don't give freely with our household and what goes on in that house. We don't give freely with our children to give them to Christ and say, they're yours, God. Mold them, shape them. I'm gonna do my darndest as their parents, but I need grace, I need Wisdom. I need the power of the Holy Spirit alive in my house if these kids are going to come to know the gospel. You could be an amazing parent and love Jesus and bring them to church every day, but if the Holy Spirit is not alive and active in your house, your kids are going to struggle. Being at church, being a children's pastor, I love my job and I get to preach to kids and I get to go to camp and be silly and teach a couple boys how to fish, but I also got to teach a couple boys how to pray. At kids camp is like the pinnacle of my year. It's like my favorite moment of the year because I have your kids for five days and they can't go anywhere and I take every opportunity to teach and for them to be able to have a, a tangible lesson, a tangible thing about who the gospel is. But ultimately, ultimately, your child staying in church long-term belongs to the family in the home. There are exceptions. There are. There are people from broken homes that love Jesus wholly. But many, most of them that I've had, that I know that are adults now would, would tell you that struggle and how hard it was. It's hard when you're nine years old and you're the only one reading your Bible in your house. It's hard when you're, when you're 12 years old and there's nobody but the youth pastor to pick you up to come to youth camp and your parents really don't care where you are. So if you have a home and you have a full home and your kids are in your home, it is a blessing that needs to be taken advantage of. If you are a single parent, it is a rough job and a job I would never want. I, I value you and I want to honor you because it is such a difficult job. My advice is put the Holy Spirit in your house. Pray for your kids and not 
just for your kids at bedtime and not just for your kids at dinner and not just for your kids in your head, but your kids need to hear you call their name before the throne. Lord, Landon needs you today. Landon, that's my son's name, by the way. Landon needs to hear me praying for him to know that I am praying for him, not just because I said it, but when he hears the, my heart for Landon, when Landon hears my heart as I cry out to God that Landon would have an intimate knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, it changes things. The Holy Spirit has to be alive and alive in your house. This process of sanctification is not easy and it is not always linear and it is not always forward. And sometimes we would look at people and say, I don't know that they're anywhere near where they need to be. But sometimes that's the best place to be is when we're broken and we bring our brokenness to the church. One of the things I've loved about this church, I've been at a lot of churches, and one of the things that I've loved here is how many people call me weekly to just see how I'm doing. You know how rare that is? Like, that's rare, right? Like, I think other pastors that have been to other churches would say that's not always the case. I think I've had board members or one or two people often will reach out, but not just people. People that want to know how I'm doing and how I'm praying and how I am living. This process of sanctification is the process of iron sharpening iron. And it is a process that takes a church and it takes a village and it takes us working together to achieve the same goal. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20, verse 27 says this. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. And so our goal is to, is to, to be the image of Christ, is to reflect the image of Christ, a pure and holy image of Christ. So as I move into this process of sanctification and I am doing Bible studies and devotionals and prayer and I'm engaging in other people and then I, I lost my house and I stopped praying and then people invited me back to church and then other things happen and it's, sometimes it's not always this upward process. When we get saved, when we ask Christ into our heart, that's not the end of it. Discipleship happens from A, to, or from C to D. We're gonna put D like right here, which means I gotta jump really weird there. And I really think I'm off my letters. Yeah, there we go. But you're gonna, this process takes people. It takes us together, helping sharpen each other, checking on each other, not to condemn, but to say, how are you doing? I saw that Facebook post and I'm just wondering how you're doing. How can I pray for you? How can I walk with you? This process of sanctification is daily waking up, as Paul says, and dying on the cross and saying, I know that I'm in this valley and things are not great, but I give myself to you today, God, anyway. I give myself to you today, God, anyway. And as we walk up this process of sanctification, we are daily giving Christ all of us. We are daily giving Jesus every ounce of who we are, every ounce of who he has created us to be and saying, I want you to have all of it, every drop of it, every bit of it. The process of becoming sanctified is getting to the point when you surrender everything to God 
Because what did we say sin was? An unwillingness to surrender to what God has for your life. It doesn't matter what the issue is. If you are, un, if Jesus says, if the Holy Spirit in your prayer life and God says you, for Lent, you need to go on this 40-day fast and you need to give up caffeine. And you say, well, I'm not, I'm not. Lent, you know, we're not Catholic, right? We're kind of loosey-goosey sometimes <laughs> with Lent. But the Holy Spirit impressed upon you that that needed to be done. And five or six days in, you decide that's, ah, I'm over that. We, I felt like I got what I needed. Wow. That is an unwillingness to surrender. And that's just like, I know that that's that giving up caffeine. For some of you that you're like, yeah, we'll preach it. That's a tough one there, buddy. Some of you could care less. But it doesn't matter what, how big it is or how little it is. If we cannot surrender it to God, whether it's, it doesn't matter whether we're it's cigarettes whether it's lying, whether it's gossiping, whether it's, it doesn't matter what sin it is. It doesn't matter what the activity itself is. God says, give it to me because you can be better because I need you to be set apart because in order to reflect who Jesus Christ is, you have to be set apart. There has to be something different in you if you are gonna reflect who Jesus is. So this moment of salvation requires nothing. Being a Christian requires really nothing. It is a free gift. But God says, because I love you and because you love me, we're gonna go through some tough stuff. I want you to be better. I want you to be the best Paul that you can be. I want you to be the best Peter that you can be. I want you to be the best Barnabas that you can be. Even the disciples, when you read the gospels, we see this process of understanding, right? The Bible says that, we, that you know, we're responsible for what, what we have understanding on and what we know. And so it was this process, this constant process of understanding of Jesus saying, John, your pride's getting in the way, bud. Right? Peter, your selfishness is getting in the way. Your fear is getting in the way. This rooster is going to crow three times. And then after it crowed, Jesus said, are you going to give it to me? Are you going to hold on to that forever or can I have it? Can I have that moment? We're gonna let that moment go. It is my moment. The Bible says when you ask for our sins to be forgiven, they're as far as the east is from the west. And we don't, sometimes, especially with our kids, we don't think about if you started heading east, you're never gonna get west. You're just gonna keep going east. But yet we hold on to those burdens. We hold on to our past. We hold on to who we used to be. And we say that I'm not good enough. And because I'm not good enough, I'm going to take a break or I'm going to walk away or I just can't do it or the church is too judgy or I walked in and they certainly didn't want me there. This process is ugly sometimes. Grace is ugly sometimes. I'm a big fan of a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And in that, there's a, I'm not going to quote the whole thing because I didn't write it down. And I've been, it was a long week at camp, and I'll misquote it. But he basically goes through a list of people that, that he sees will be in heaven. And he, he says the prostitute from the Kit Kat ranch. He says the drunk from the bar that's always there. These people, we don't understand what grace really means. What grace really does. 
And so some of us, sometimes when we get on this path of sanctification and we're doing great and God has all of us and God has more of us. And then we look at other people that say that they've started at sea, but yet, man, they're still at the beginning or they're down in this valley and we want to judge them. And we want to say they, they, they didn't make a commitment. They didn't make a decision. Man, the Holy Spirit needs you to sharpen iron needs you to disciple. We can create all the discipleship programs we want in this church, but as individuals, what did, Matthew, what did Jesus say at the end of Matthew in the Great Commission? Go and make disciples and teach them. It wasn't 12 disciples standing on a beach watching Jesus ascend. The 12 were there, but there were other people that were there there were other people that had followed Jesus and then ran when he died. And when they heard that he was alive, had to come and see him. All of us, when we enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, part of the sanctifying process is sanctifying ourselves and offering ourselves wholly over to God and then helping other people with that process and never claiming to be anything than we are. We don't become boastful. We don't want to become prideful. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees got wrong. They took their religion and, and turned it into piety because they were better at following rules. Following the rules is not going to get you to heaven. Understanding that Jesus Christ comes first. And I want Jesus to have all of me. And I want Jesus to have everything. And so I'm going to give him my alcoholic addiction. And I'm going to give it to him. And then I'm, oh, then tomorrow and now I'm struggling. And I want to drink. And, and that's, and then we call someone. And we say, we say, I'm struggling. But we feel like we can't call anyone in the church. We feel like we can't let anyone know in the church that we're struggling and that we're walking through a process and we're just going to do it all by ourselves. After I asked Alicia to date me, if I had just decided to do all of this all by myself, we would not have gotten married. We would have not have gotten to this point of this commitment where I say, man, I want to love you forever. I want to love you for always. I want you to have all of me. This, I, I, wanna, I, I heard um, a professor of mine, um, uh, Phil Bentz. I don't know if anybody knows that name. Bud Bentz is popular, uh, but Phil Bentz is amazing. And, uh, and he says, when we get to this point, this process of sanctification, it simply boils down to... Um, waking up in the morning and saying and realizing, I can't give Jesus any more than I've given him today. When I wake up in the morning, I, say, I, I, I look at my wife and I see my wife and, and, and is every single moment of our life and our marriage absolutely perfect? No. But I say, man, I don't know what else I could give Alicia. I don't know how I could love Alicia more than I do right now. I don't know how I could love her more than I do in this moment. We have so much fun together. She laughs when I laugh. She encourages me when I need it. She's my best cheerleader. Man, I can't imagine loving her anymore. And then the next day when I wake up, I find a way to love her more. I find a way to give her more of me, to let her into more areas of my life, to let her into more things of my life. And so daily when I wake up and I look and I say, God, You've got all of me. 
And then God says, well, what about that? Oh, I, well, that's never been an issue, right? It's not a, that's not a thing. I remember one recently was I was just spending too much time outside the house. Um, a lot of it was I was in my head and really just asking and praying and seeking direction and where we were going to go. But in that process, I was neglecting my family. I was neglecting their needs and, and, and not respecting that personal time and not respecting family time. And Alicia was like, I need, I need more from you. I just want you to be here more. And I said, okay, I, I'll find a way to give, you, to, be, to give you more, to be in that more, to give you more of me. I'm not perfect now. I mess up. Sometimes I do really dumb things. Sometimes I make mistakes and I hurt people and I hurt people's feelings. It is a process of giving God daily. Why do you think Paul said, I have to die daily on the cross? Because Paul was a person. Him and Peter didn't get along for a long time. They just didn't get along. They had differences of opinions and they're both very opinionated people. And they just didn't get along. And at some point they wake up and they're like, what are we doing? How is this the church? How is this loving the church? We might not get along and we might not agree, but we have the same goal. We have the same mission and we should be going there together. We should be spending time asking questions together. D is the moment of this marriage and sanctification. And I'm glad they put it on the board because I can't spell sanctification. Uh, it's a big word. This is our word. I don't know. I'm sure there's a letter missing. Some of those might be eyes. I don't know. <laughs> Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 19 says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard of this righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you when deriving from the things which you are now ashamed for the outcome of those things is death. Read more. But now having been, I wrote, wrote read more. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. Freed from your sin. Freed from the burden of your addictions. Freed from the burden of your guilt. Freed from the burden of your pride and your anxieties and your fears. We are free because Christ died on the cross and we accept him as our Lord and Savior. We are free because we have asked Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. A lot of times we get here, right? We get to this point, uh, this point where we ask our spouse to marry us and this wedding dress on our wedding day, I'm gonna unzip it, I don't know if you can see it or not. Um, on our wedding day, somebody decided, I thought I was falling over. Somebody decided mustard was a good idea. It's not. I recommend like, uh, like queso blanco, like white cheese only. If you're going to use like a dip, only like white cheese. It doesn't stain as much. 
<laughs> but there's a stain here from my sister, Hannah Banana, put a stain on the white dress. Do you know how hard it is to get a stain out of a wedding dress? Can you throw it in the washing machine? I, I thought about throwing it in the bathtub one time. There's really not a lot you can do other than pay someone who knows exactly what they are doing with a very expensive product because they have mastered that product and they are the best at this product and you read a lot of Yelp reviews uh, to make sure they know what they're doing and it's definitely not someone's basement shop where they work from home. Like you are gonna look for a legit place to go get this stain worked on and taken out but yet we try to do it ourselves when it's our stain, when it's our sin, when it's our iniquities, when it's our issues. We're just going to do it ourselves and take care of it ourselves. And we don't talk to our spouse and we don't talk to our friends and we don't talk to our Bible study and we don't talk to our God. I can carry that burden. I can, I can carry this guilt. I can carry this shame. We don't utilize the tools that we have. The sanctifying process, the process of becoming sanctified, the process of the sanctification is letting God have absolutely all of you. It takes people working together. It takes a commitment from you. It takes a determination to say, God, this is not going to be easy because you will be set apart. And not just set apart in this building. When you're in church, you're set apart right now from all the people running around Walmart that didn't go to church today. You're set apart wholly different. We act different and we talk different. We treat other people different. We love different. There's a famous quote that says, preach the gospel all the time. And when necessary, use words. Are we living out the gospel? My point to say that is, are we making an effort? Are we making an effort? It is going to take work. Nothing comes easy that's worth having. Marriage is work. If you are newlyweds right now, it's awesome. But sometimes your hot water heater is going to break and you're not a good mechanic or a good repairman and your wife knows that you're not <laughs> and you're going to have an argument about it. I can fix this on my own. I ain't paying however many dollars for someone else to do it, right, or whatever. Sometimes the money's not there that we need. Sometimes our kids are horrible. My kid's pretty good. I can't think of very many moments that I thought, man, Landon, I'm going to just have to duct tape you to the bed. <laughs> He's been a pretty good kid. He's a pretty good kid. Pretty easy kid to have. We were super blessed as parents uh, to have Landon. He's an awesome kid. Because <laughs> he, he has common sense. Uh, in second service, could you help the kids? Um, <laughs> Um, I need a drink, sorry. Pardon me. I will say my throat's doing a whole lot better than I thought it was going to be doing. So now when we go, this process of, this process of sanctifying from D to E, things, things take dramatic turns when we decide to engage in church. 
And I know that a lot of people have been hurt by the church as an organization. And there are people that don't want to step foot in the church. But when the church is doing what the church is supposed to be doing, it is gorgeous. It is beautiful. It is a healing church. This church does more community outreach than most churches in America. This church does more community outreaches than churches three times this size that I've been to that are more concerned about what goes on in here than how we take what goes on in here out there. Because if all we do is occupy a pew, we are consumers of the gospel. We are not active participants in the gospel. The Great Commission, go and make disciples. When you give Christ all of you, when you make this decision, it doesn't matter where you're at, on this line, it doesn't matter how much you are struggling. God says, I've given you a story and a voice. Use it. God never called perfect people. He really didn't. Peter was, a, I mean, half of them were fishermen, but have you ever been around fishermen? Like fishermen, that like, that's their trade and that's what they do. Yeah, in landlocked Ohio, most of you have, I'm sure. <laughs> fishermen have their own vernacular, their own especially in biblical times. They didn't hang out with everybody else. They smelled like fish. They stood in a boat with fish and they smelled like fish every day. And then they would spend the whole day on the beach after their catch sorting the fish, good fish, bad fish, taking them to market. And then they go home and they smell like fish all day and they did not have any Irish spring soap. So I'm just saying they tended to spend a lot of times with fishermen. Fishermen liked to be with fishermen because they had a lot in common because they, and they were just gruff people right? They were just rough around the edges people. And I think when we read the gospels, we can see at times that Peter's still a little rough around the edges and Peter's still a little rough around the edges, but he is surrounded by people. He is surrounded. He is at the foot of the teacher saying, what's next? What's next? What else do I need? What is next? What? That is where we need to be as a church. That is where we need to be as individuals. This place becomes a sanctuary for the broken, a hospital for the sick, not a country club for the righteous. As we go on this process of becoming righteous at some point, if we let pride step in, we become Pharisees and Sadducees. When the person walks in with blue hair and tattoos and earrings and a mohawk and we're like, yeah, <laughs> piety. Where are they in their walk with Christ? Where are they on this line? Are they still here? Are you the person, or is this the opportunity? Is this Sunday the chance that we can get them from this A to this dramatic shift upward? Sanctification is daily deciding that God's gonna have all of you, that God's gonna have every moment of you, that God's gonna have everything that you can have. And I promise you this, when you start praying for God to sanctify you, he's going to ask you to do things you don't wanna do sometimes. He's gonna ask you to pray for that Walmart clerk on Black Friday when there is a line out the door. But I will tell you right now, that young lady named Tamika from Aston, Pennsylvania that God put a burden on my heart for is in church right now hearing the gospel. I will say this is an interesting moment. Like just this, just this story is, I was in Walmart, it was Black Friday. We've all seen it on TV, whether you've been to it or not. I like the chaos, so I like to go. 
COVID got rid of the chaos though, man. I was hoping for some insanity. So here I am and I'm, there's like 80,000 people in line and I get up to the register and this lady is having just the absolute worst time. And I definitely picked the slowest line on the planet. And uh, I don't know, God just said, ask her what's wrong. And so I ask her what's wrong and she doesn't tell me because that's weird. She's like, I don't know who you are. And I was like, I just feel like God's asking me to, to make sure you're okay. And she spent the next probably almost 10 minutes maybe telling me her story. Um, I took about five minutes to pray with her and I invited her to church and I gave her a business card. And as I was done praying, I look up and the line is like five times longer than it was a minute ago. And nobody said anything. Nobody. Nobody was like, hurry it up, wrap it up, preacher. I got toys to scan. <laughs> got a new TV to get home and plug in. But because I was obedient, the Holy Spirit was like, I'll shut the mouths of these lions. I'll shut the mouths of these distractions. Every time I went back to that Walmart, I would look for her first, say hi as I went in. And then I was always in her line and got a chance to check in on her and see how she was doing. Um, are you willing to take those moments? Because if you walk through the process of sanctification and you say, Christ, you, I've, I've become a Christian. I gave you my life. I, I, you died on the cross for my sin and I want you to have all of me. And, and then we're gonna go through this process. And at, at some point, you've gotta say, God, I'm gonna do something radical for you. I'm gonna do something crazy for you because that's what you're calling me to do. And it doesn't mean you have to talk to people boldly in the middle of a Walmart that's super crowded. It means, are you willing to, if God asked you to, would you do it? Remember the rich young ruler? What do I got to do? Give up all your stuff. Follow me. So I got a lot of stuff. <laughs> you understand? I got a lot of stuff, Jesus. And I, if I could just keep some of this stuff, like my super nice shoes, uh, that'd be nice. God says, can I have all of it? I never said I was going to take it. I never said I was going to burn it. I never said I was going to get rid of it. I said, can I have it? Can I have your husband? Can I have your wife? Can I have your children? From D to E, uh, what was E again? I got to look at my notes. This intimacy with Christ in marriage, right? This intimacy as we are growing through this process of sanctification and we continue this intimacy till we get to the point where we say, Christ, I can't imagine giving you more. I just can't. And yet I'm going to find a way to give you something else. And maybe you don't have sin that you need to give over, but maybe you have time that you need to give over. And God's been putting a burden on your heart for a small group or a people group or a home Bible study or an individual that needs discipleship because this congregation is full of them. This last one, this big jump up is this big giant word, letter F, and it is glorification. So we have salvation, sanctification, glorification. Salvation is a free gift that requires you to say, Jesus, I am broken and I'd like for you to help me fix it. I want you to have my sin and I want you to have all of me. Sanctification is this point when we begin, is this process that we're going through of saying, of literally cleaning our closet and giving God our things. 
This being sanctified is when we wake up and say, God, I can't imagine giving you anything else. But we still pray that prayer. What else do you want? What else do I have that you need? Because I want to give it to you. I want you to take it and I want to give it to you. So let's end in this. Since we are really running out of time, we should watch the clock. Usually the children's pastor's shorter, uh, but today I'm longer than normal. That's okay. God knows what he's doing. This is Revelations, the book of Revelations. We're going all the way to the end. We're going all the way to the end. Here's what I want you to stand about, about the church. Christ said this church is perfect. We are perfect and we are made up of imperfect beings. We have to represent Christ and the church to the absolute best of our ability. And when we fail, we have to be willing to own it and say, I am human. I am broken. I am struggling with this. Revelations chapter 19, verse 7. And I'm going to read it super boldly and loudly with no voice. Let us rejoice and be glad and give God, give him all the glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Our, the bride is making themselves ready. Daily, we have to make a decision to give up our selfish things. And daily, we have to make a decision that I want Christ to have all of me, not just some of me. And daily, we have to make a decision to look at people that we deem lower than us, we deem further back in the journey. I got 20 years on you, so... I got some advice. We deem them unworthy. And Christ says no one is unworthy. Maybe that's what we have to give Christ is our pride in our relationship with Jesus. Maybe we have to ask ourselves, am I becoming a Pharisee or a Sadducee? Am I more stuck on looking right, saying right, doing right, following the rules? Am I stuck more on those things right now? than I am the individual. The individual that is struggling with sin but could still have an intimate relationship with Christ if only someone would help them walk through the journey of burdening, getting rid of their sin, getting rid of their baggage and their chains and their bondage. Because sometimes when we ask Christ and we jump into this salvation, the chains fall away, amen? Sometimes, Remember the story of Lazarus? The book of John, we get the story of Lazarus that died and Jesus brought him back to, to life. What's the first thing he does when Lazarus comes back to life? He tells the disciples, go help him remove his grave clothes because he can't do it by himself. Lazarus was bound like a mummy and wrapped tightly in death in the shroud of death. And when he brought him back to life in this stinky smelly cave, he tells some disciples, go help him remove his grave clothes. My charge and my challenge is to find a one. One person in your life that needs help removing their grave clothes. Maybe they're still in the cave and God's calling you to call them out of the darkness, to boldly proclaim the gospel over their life and to speak Jesus into them. But maybe he's calling you to come alongside somebody younger than you in this church, someone older than you in this church, 
and help them remove their grave clothes individually. Let's walk through the process of sanctification together as a church, as individuals. Christ Community Wesleyan, I love this church and I've only been here a few months, but I am excited for what God has in the months and years to come. So pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time to be in your building and to be in your presence. To stand here on this stage is just an honor that I don't take lightly. Lord, I pray as we go out of here that you would charge us to be bold for you, God. That you would charge us to challenge ourselves where we are weak and to lift up others where they are weak. Iron sharpening iron. Lord, help me to find one person in my life that needs assistance, that needs a a companion, that needs help removing their burden of sin. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your death and thank you for your resurrection so that we could have eternal life and life everlasting with you, God. Holy Spirit, go with us from this place. Challenge us to transform Athens County for you. May we claim this county in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.